What is the payout if I join an RIA? It's today's question on the transition to RIA question and answer series. It is episode number 91. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition RIA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RIA model. If you're not already there, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, uh, you can find all the resources I make available from this entire series in video format, podcast format. I have articles, I have white papers, all kinds of things to help you better understand the RIA model. Again, transitiontoria.com. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about if you were to join an RIA with your practice, what would the payout be? And so there's a couple of variables that we'll talk through regarding that subject. Uh, but to start with, and for those that have listened or watched uh, a lot of my episodes, you'll know I often talk about there's three main ways you can transition your practice into the RIA model. Uh, so at a very high level, I'm just going to briefly remind you uh, of what those three are, um, because one is what we're going to be talking about today. So on one end of the spectrum, if you were to transition your existing practice into the RIA model, is to start your own RIA and build out kind of all the necessary solution providers around it. So that's on one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum is to join an existing RIA and what we're going to be talking about today. And then there's a third flavor that's kind of in the middle of those two uh, along the spectrum. And as I often say, right, there's pros and cons to all three of those. So it's not to say that one path is better than the other. Um, and advisors go down all three of those paths. But if you were inclined to go down the third path, as I as I laid them out there, and join an RIA, today's topic is, well, what what kind of payout could you expect if you would go down that path? And, and that is part of the due diligence you would be doing to decide, is that the, the path you want to be going down? Uh, so if you haven't seen them, I've done some other episodes on on joining an RA. One, one just to kind of at the, not specific on payouts, but just should you join an RA? So you might want to go back and look at that episode. Uh, and I also did one on how to evaluate RIAs that you've maybe come across or that are on your radar uh, how to evaluate them, whether they'd be a good fit for you. So I encourage you to check out those two episodes as well if you're inclined. Uh, but if you've kind of made that decision or you've made that determination that joining an existing RA is perhaps best, then the question is, well, what kind of payout can I expect uh, from the different solution providers in the marketplace? Again, that's what we're going to be talking about here. And that really comes down to, you know, to, I, I try to kind of structure these episodes. So we're going to talk about kind of the the structure of how those, that payout is typically presented. And then we're going to get into some actual numbers and, and, and specifically how they how the economics of it look. So to start with on kind of that more higher level structure uh, level is there's all different kinds of RIAs that you could potentially join. Again, I, I talk about this at uh, quite a few episodes. And uh, in theory, there's 30,000, over 30,000 RIA, RIAs out there now. Uh, a huge amount of them have no interest in adding advisors. A fair number of them would like to add advisors, but but arguably don't have very good value propositions. And then there are some very good solutions now out there in the marketplace that if you that if you want to join one, that that do have very good value propositions. However, there's also multiple flavors within that. So even the ones that we could argue say, hey, these are good value propositions. The the how they've decided to structure what they provide for the advisors that join them, how they structure the economics. 
it's it's there's not a lot of uniformity over it, right? It, it's all different kinds of flavors of it, which is good for you as the advisor because you can find perhaps something that's very good fit for your specific practice. And whereas that same firm might not be a fit for some other advisor. So the, the good news is a lot of variety out there. It's just finding which which ones are the good ones and then which ones best fit your specific situation. But as an example on that structure standpoint from how they can vary, some will structure that as a W-2 arrangement for you as the advisor, and some will structure that as a 1099. And, and the reason I'm kind of diving into that as opposed to some of the other uh, variables that, that could differentiate them is that that uh, whether W-2 or 1099 is going to have a huge impact on the economics and the payout that would be involved in whatever their their value prop, their packages that they'd be offering you. And so if your W-2, obviously that payout's going to be a lot lower because hopefully in return for that W-2 status, they're providing you with a lot more. Uh, and that's typically maybe an office, maybe even staff, maybe benefits. Um, whereas 1099, which is, I don't want to say more the norm, but there's, there's more options in that space uh, that advisors often find flexible. Uh, where they'll say, hey, that the payout, and I'm again, I'm gonna get into numbers here in a moment, is, is essentially higher, but but you advisor in return are responsible for, as they say, your local expenses. So that is procuring your own office if you want an office or what kind of office you want, your own staff, your own, you know, maybe local IT support or whatever the case may be. And, and so there is a big gap there on economics between W2 uh, and 1099. So just something to be aware of. It's hard for me to give numbers as I will for 1099 kind of offerings out there, kind of the range. Uh, it's hard to do that with W-2 because W-2 can, the, the, the needle can drastically kind of move depending on, again, are they going to be providing you an office in a fancy office tower? Are they going to be, be providing you your dedicated staff to just your practice? So it's, it's, it's hard for me to even give a range on the W-2 level uh, because those value props can can vary so much uh, compared to what's typical in the 1099 world, which I'm going to get into. Um, and that is just something you'd want to learn about. So if you find one and, and you like the idea of being W-2 uh, that appeals to you, that does appeal to some advisors, uh, you would want to know, well, what, what do you get in return? And typically be, these these firms, just to give you a general idea, they are, they are extracting people out of the wirehouse world's uh, out of the, the the traditional W two broker dealer world, so so the, the the numbers won't be essentially twice the payout you get over there because they still have costs they have to cover for you, but they are typically better than what you could get in that wirehouse or or typical W two broker dealer model because again they're they're having to provide a better better value proposition for you, better economics to attract you in first place to be taking a look at their offering. So just know that there's a big difference when it comes to quote unquote payouts. Or the economics, if the value prop of that RA you're looking at is that you would be W-2 employee of theirs, or you would be 1099. So we're going to kind of, I'm going to spend most of my time talking 1099 because that's what more of the kind of value props out there that are that are attracting a lot of advisors are 1099. That's not to say there's not some great W-2 approaches. That's not to say that's not the great, that possibly the approach you should be taking as a W-2. But again, it's it's hard to give kind of numbers knowing how disparate that could be. So on the 1099 front, now we're going to talk, now we're going to jump into some economics and specifics on that uh, that I want to dive into. And so kind of two parts to that. So the first part of that is even, and, and again, I'm going to give, I'm going to give some specific numbers here, but how, how those economics are typically presented to you 
has the potential to join an advisor, like then there's there's not across the board uniformity in how this is done, although it is a little more perhaps narrow than, than what happens with the W-2 approach. So uh, the first way that uh, sometimes these economics are presented is in the same sense of a quote unquote payout that you might be have been used to your entire career up to this point, whether you're in that W-2 broker dealer world or you're at an independent broker dealer or whatnot, that you get a payout. So you receive a certain percent of the fees and commissions or the revenue that you bring in, a certain percent of that is paid out to you. That's your payout. And so your payout at a W-2 world might be 40% or an independent broker deal world might be 80 to 90% or something along those lines. So as a payout, there are RIAs out there, 1099 RIA offerings that are wonderful value propositions that position the economics of their offering as a payout as well. And so it's the one reason some of some of the uh, those RAs do that is because it's perhaps easier just to simply compare for advisors to say, hey, here's here's what I'm here's what my payout is over here. The payout over here would be X. So some firms do it as a percent payout in the traditional sense. You are probably used to uh, where you're at currently. Uh, other firms do it essentially as the inverse and do it in basis points. So they might say. Hey, here's everything we provide for you. And in return for that, we charge you X basis points. Now, the, the key, and I'm uh there, there is some benefits to doing that. Essentially, it's the inverse of a payout, which by the way, you can do that math on your own as well. So if wherever you are now, let's say you're at uh W2 wirehouse and you are your payout is 40%. Well, the inverse of that is 60%, right? So for the value and services your firm is providing you, you are effectively paying them 60%. So oftentimes people get lost in that and say, oh, I, I might pay out what I receive. But I always say, think of it as, hey, you are generating this revenue, this client revenue. So think of it as 100% comes to you your firm is providing you again with some sort of value or services. And in return, you are paying them for that, as you should. There's hard costs for them to provide that for you. They're out there trying to make a profit as well. Now, whether that's a good value prop and good economics is, is obviously debatable, uh, but you are paying for that. So the inverse, you should always think of, even if you get a payout in the traditional sense, you should always think, well, what's the inverse? What am I paying my firm for what I'm receiving in return? So for the RIA solutions that express it in basis points, that that essentially is what's happening. It's the inverse. It's saying, hey, here's everything we provide you. You keep 100% of the, the fees that you bring in, but you pay us X basis points for, for this package of, of services that we provide for you. So uh, again, you can do the same thing with the payout. Now, if for just simple math sake, if you charge... Uh, your client, all of your clients, exactly 1%. I know it's a hypothetical, but exactly 1%. So that's 100 basis points. It's the, you know, a 90% a, a or an 80% payout is the same thing as 20 basis points, uh, essentially retention being paid, right? So the it's it's just the inverse. And again, if, if you happen to charge exactly 1%, those numbers match up the same. So as I kind of get into some specific numbers, we're going to kind of operate under that assumption that you're charging roughly 1% and that math is roughly the same, that an 80% payout is the same thing as retaining 20%, which is the same thing as retaining 20 basis points, if that makes sense. So you want to try to, especially if you're looking at more than one offer, and you always want to kind of try to compare apples to apples. So no matter how it's expressed, well, okay, we're, roughly what is 
what does each retain in and how does and how does that look? So again, some do it as a percent payout, some do it as basis points uh, kind of fee that, that they're they're not effectively retaining it because they're saying, hey, you get 100% your payout, but here's what you pay us for the services that we provide you. Uh, some then do a combination of that, which is, hey, the payout is X, but you also pay perhaps a couple basis points. And there's different reasons they might structure it that way. So some do a, a combination of payout and basis point fees. Um, and then the, the, the final thing I want to just note on that before I, before I give specifics is, but be careful that there's not also additional just fees or, 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 or uh, things thrown in there on top of all that. And I, thankfully, in the RIA world, this is not nearly as prevalent as it is in the broker-dealer world. And so let me give you an example by that, uh, that, that I often see in the broker-dealer world, and you can see you would not want it to happen in the RA world, and it typically doesn't, is I, I often will talk to advisors that are at independent broker-dealers, and uh, we're talking about you know, their practice, their affiliation model, maybe why, why they want to look at the RA model. And, and as part of that, I'm trying to understand their economics now to help them understand how that would compare perhaps in the RA model. And so I'll say, well, what is your, what is your payout? And again, this is a, an advisor at a, a typical independent broker-dealer. And they might come back to me with this, you know, fairly high numbers, 85%, 90%, 92%. And, and they say, well, I know that's that's my payout. I got a high number. And it, it does seem to be this fairly generous high number. Uh, but then almost every single time uh, after I ask the next question, oh, it turns out there's more to it. So I say, okay, great. That's your payout. Are there any other fees that you have to pay? And there, there typically is. And it might be some E&O fees or some tech fees, which, by the way, all that can add up and you need to factor that in. But one of the bigger kind of things that moves the needle is uh, a lot of times uh, an independent broker deal platform might have, well, here's the payout. But then, by the way, in, in all of your advisory accounts, there's also uh, it's often referred to as a platform fee. And it might be 20, 25 basis points. Um, and so let's say it's a 25 basis point platform fee. And so... The reality is, let's say you are charging 1% to your client for, for your services. You say, here's everything I provide you, client. I charge 1%. Then there's also a 25 basis point platform fee on top of that. And, and I and when I when I remind advisors of that, they, they typically say, well, yeah, but the client pays that. And, and yes, the client is technically paying it, but the client doesn't really care who gets what behind the scenes. They just say... I'm coming to this advisor who's at this firm. What are they going to provide for me? And what am I going to pay for it? So in the example I just gave, if you are charging 1% and your firm is charging a 25 basis point platform fee, the client is paying 1.25%. However, your payout is only on that 1% part of it. So you're 90, we'll just pick on and say it's 90%. You're getting 90% of the 100 basis points advisor fee, you're not getting 90% of the 125 basis points that the client is paying in full. Again, the client doesn't care who gets what behind the scenes. They just know they're paying 125 basis points for the services they're receiving. So that's that's an example. I don't want to say it's a, a bait and switch. I, I, I equate it to uh, often to resort fees at a hotel, which is you know, you you go to look at uh, room rates on hotels.com or whatever, and you see these, you know, hey, great room rates. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, it turns out after you get three clicks into the process, where there's also a mandatory resort fee of, you know, $50 a day or whatever the case is, 
Um, and it's mandatory. You don't have an option. You might not even use those resort features, whatever the whatever the pitch is. Um, so I say, hey, okay, the home rate's not really what they say it is because if you have to pay this mandatory fee, you, you got to factor the whole thing in there. So it's the same thing with kind of payout rates. It's like that 90% is not truly 90% payout if if the client's also having to pay 25 basis points of which you advise or receive a none of. Because if you were to move into the RIA model and that client is inclined to pay 125 basis points currently for everything you're providing them, there's no reason you can't continue to charge them 125 basis points. Although now in that RIA world, you get to you get to perhaps have the payout based on that entire 125 basis points, not just not just the 100 and then and then the the platform fee is carved out separately from that. So kind of go off on a tangent there, but the idea being that careful, certainly in broker dealer world, it can happen in the RA world. It's much less, much less prevalent that when someone says, oh, oh, hey, here's our payout or, oh, hey, here's, we charge in basis points. You want to make sure, okay, well, are there any additional fees? You don't want them to slide. Oh yeah. Well, there's this 20 basis point platform fee. That's significant. That's meaningful. Again, that's way less typical to see that sort of thing in the RA world with with the RA, the attractive RAA offerings that are out there. But you do want to make sure you're you're looking both uh on both sides of that you have the full picture. Uh, many times I talk to advisors and they want to just discount that platform. They don't even want to kind of acknowledge that at their current firm. It's like, no, you have to acknowledge it because that can greatly benefit you, but the absence of that in the RIA model. So just keep that in mind. And again, uh make sure there's not additional fees as you kind of look at a uh, uh, firm's economics. So now let's get into some specific numbers. So again, whether it's expresses payout, BIFs retention, whatever, the math can kind of roughly come the same. If you do the inverse, you do the, do the the you know one percent, hundred basis points, the same thing as one one percent per basis point. So typically, a ten ninety nine offering, the the good offerings that are out there, typically range from about ten to thirty basis points for the cost. So again, you you could you could extrapolate that back to a payout. Just do the inverse, but typically range from about 10 to 30 basis points. Now you might say, well, why would I ever want to pay 30 if there's offerings out there at 10? Well, it's right, it's it's you you get what you pay for, right? And the number alone is is meaningless. It is what value do you get in return for that number? It would be no different than a client, a prospective client walking into your office, and before they even know all of the value you are going to provide for them, they say, Well, what is your fee? And you say, Well, my fee's uh, 125 basis points, or my fee is 100 basis points, whatever your fee is, and that's all they have to go by, that number is meaningless. Now, there's some advisors that arguably maybe provide next to no service to their clients for that 100 basis points, and there's other advisors that, that provide a lot of value for that 100 basis points, so you can tell where there's a difference. So you have to know not just, well, what's the fee? What do I get in return for that fee? So there is, and again, this is one of the great things about the 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 uh the choices you would have if you want to join an existing is there are different value propositions out there. So some more on the lower end say, hey, we we provide just we focus on just the core pieces of what's needed to run an advisory practice. And and these are the core pieces we do on your behalf as the RIA or that we provide for you. And we try to uh keep just that bundle tight and keep that price competitive. And to the degree you want some auxiliary services added on top of that, great. You go out there and you source them on your own, and we can even give you you know referrals or suggestions. But our our piece is kind of more of a core piece. And then on the other end of that spectrum, towards the higher end, is 
firms that not only provide those core pieces, but provide extensive in-house resources, whether it's tax plan and expertise, estate plan and expertise. Uh, they perhaps do asset management for that, that same 30 basis point. So again, you want to look at what is the fee and then, and then what value do I get in return for that? Um, and you, and you want to make sure, again, you don't just arbitrarily think less is better. And so I'll give you an example. Uh, a while back, an advisor reached out to me. Uh, he's at an existing RIA at the time, and he was frustrated uh, because he felt the service he was getting from his firm and the solutions or what they were providing for him was was poor. He, he said, why am I here? They're not doing much for me is essentially what he was saying. Uh, and so, okay, let's let's dive into that. Let's understand what are they providing for you. And I, and he he kind of named a few things. It, arguably, it wasn't much. Uh, but then I said, well, how much are you paying them? Uh, and he said seven basis points. And I said, okay, well, let's let's think about this. For a firm to bring you on and provide you some services, there's hard costs they have associated with that. So if they are providing you with Compliance oversight, which that's that's the main reason you might join an R. So you don't have to do that yourself. They are handling that. If they are providing you with technology, they have hard costs with that. If uh, you presumably are rolling up under their E and O policy, so there's costs associated with that. And so all of a sudden, with seven basis points, I think. Okay, and I had to walk them through this. Okay, think about it. They might not be providing a lot. They might not be providing that tax plan service, the state plan service, but they are providing some of these things. Those things have hard costs. So out of the seven, they have to cover those costs. Then in addition, anytime an advisor joins a firm, there's always some risk associated with that, right? That, that advisor might have a client that will one day go rogue and create all kinds of problems and want to make lawsuits. And there's risks and costs potentially associated with that. That advisor might actually go rogue one day and, and cause headaches for the RA. So there's also risk that an RA needs to be compensated for, for taking on. And then, of course, these are for-profit businesses. They need to generate enough profit to make this worthwhile. So out of seven basis points, I had to explain, I said, there, there's basically nothing there. They can't give you much more than they are. And quite frankly, I don't even know why this firm was, was doing this. At the end of the day, they maybe, maybe were making one or two basis points off of this advisor, which I would just argue is not even remotely worth it for the risk responsibilities and everything you 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 under you need to deliver for that advisor if you're promising to deliver those services. And so don't assume that cheaper is necessarily better because again, think that that math needs to work for the RA for them to deliver on what they say they're going to deliver on and, and put yourself in their shoes. If you had your own RIA or your own firm and you were going to bring an advisor on after covering all your costs, you wouldn't do it for a one or two basis point profit. It wouldn't be worth it to you for the responsibilities and risks and and, and everything you need to, need to deliver. So there needs to be some margin in there for it to make it worth the while. And by the way, you want these firms to be able to, as the industry evolves, to be able to reinvest back in their business and roll out new services, new technology. There needs to be enough you know, capacity to do that. So be very careful about the the the, the cheapest thing out there there's a reason for that. It typically won't work out in the long run. The particular advisor I mentioned, he ended up looking at solutions that were they're about twice as expensive what he's currently paying. And then you could get sticker shock. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's double what I'm currently paying. But even then that was up to about the 15 range. And even then he's still on the, the lower end of the spectrum. But he was realizing he was getting what he was paying for. He actually would be better off paying twice as much and actually getting more in return. So 
just something to be to, to be thinking of. But again, that 10 to 30 basis points, again, this is 1099. This is what they would retain. That is fairly typical of what most RAs offer, but, but it does range from RIA to RIA. Uh, and then I want to wrap up just with two tips and reminders. So uh, the first one, again, be careful about the extra fees, platform fees, both recognize it at your current situation. Are you paying that now? Or is there additional tips if you use SMA managers that, oh, there's a 10 basis point platform fee in addition to the money manager fee? Well, guess what? You need to acknowledge that fee is being paid by the client and then say, okay, if I were to join an RIA and I wanted to continue to use SMA managers, just as an example, is there that 10 basis point platform fee in addition? Or how do they price it out? You have to factor in the entire cost of the client where you're at now and what that would look like over in what when joining an RA. And then also, you know, what does it mean for the client? And then what does it mean for you? How much of that actually flows to your bottom line? So careful on platform fees, advisory account fees, whatever, whatever your firm wants to call them. Make sure you're doing an apples to apples comparison. Uh, and then the, the last thing I would say is as you think about potentially joining one of these RAs. And I talk about, oh, it could be 10 to 30 basis points. Just remember you, and let's let's pick one and say you find one that's that's 20 basis points and the, and the value, uh, it's a great value proposition for you. You like the team, you like the message, it's a fit, but you're going to pay them 20 basis points. Notice I say you're going to pay them because you are going to pay them for what's in return. Be careful of thinking that, oh, this is going to cost me 20 basis points or I have to pay them 20 basis points because the reality is, if you were, instead of joining that RA, were to start your own RIA, RIA which is which is a potential path, uh, you would have uh, hard costs associated with putting together the same pieces that this firm's going to provide for you. So you will have technology costs, you will have compliance costs, you will have E&O costs. And so the idea is if this firm over here that has this value proposition that's appealing to you is charging 20 basis points, well, for you to build out that same set of solutions that they're going to be providing for you, how much would that cost if you were to start your own RA? Now, in some cases, because of the scale advantage some of these firms have, you you couldn't even build out what they're providing uh, for 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 less than the twenty basis points that they're charging, because they just they have the scale advantage; they can spread the cost across more advisors. So, in some instances, you you couldn't even replicate the twenty basis points. But let's say somehow you could, and in your costs out of pocket or 15 basis points. Those are the hard costs. However, you also have to consider the intangibles of uh, your time to manage all these pieces yourself, your time to manage the compliance, the responsibilities you will have, again, from the compliance or regulatory aspect, that's harder to pencil into the spreadsheet, right? That's that's intangible costs that are, that are harder to really put pencil to paper on. So we can't discount those, but for the sake of argument, let's, let's say, again, the hard costs are 15, and over here to join one is 20. So so don't think of it as, oh, I have to pay them 20 basis points. You're really only paying them the difference between what it would cost you to do it yourself. Again, that's even before the intangibles and what it would pay just to have them do it all for you, which in this example is five basis points. So the thought is, or how you should look at it is, hey, again, this is just an example. For five basis points, would I rather not be responsible for the compliance and regulatory stuff? Would I rather not be responsible for managing the tech stack? Would I rather not be responsible for the E&O? All these sorts of things. If they'll, It has to be done one way or the other. Someone has to provide all these things. Either I procure it myself. Again, pros and cons to do that approach, entirely doable. 
or someone else provides it for me. And, and there's, again, some advisors go down both of these paths. I'm not suggesting one's better than the other, but for those advisors that say, hey, I'd rather not do those things myself. And if someone has packaged them up in an attractive manner, an attractive value prop for an attractive price, that can be appealing. Again, you're only paying the difference to say, hey, you know what? You take care of all of that. I don't want to be responsible for that. So don't. Uh, the main takeaway, don't think of it as paying 20, it's paying, well, what's, what's the difference versus you perhaps trying to do it on your own? So I, I hope this is helpful. This is, doesn't necessarily cover anything and everything associated, uh, certainly with evaluating an RA to join. Again, I've, I've done other episodes on those topics. Uh, the devil's in the details on economics, uh, but I hope that this has given you at least a general idea of what's out in the marketplace, what you can generally expect, how they are structured different. So if you were to only look at one, uh, which I which I typically say, hey, you want at least more than one to look at to have something to compare it against. And let's say you look at two or three, well, they might structure it different. One could be payout, one could be BIPs, one could be a combination of the two. So you want to really make sure you're looking at apples to apples as you work through these things. That is something I help advisors with. Not only know who the who have the good uh, or the attractive value propositions, but let's let's really make sure we understand it and how they compare both on value props and on economics as well. Uh, so with that, like I said at the top, uh, my name is Brad Wales with Transition to RIA, and this is what I help advisors with is saying, hey, what is your current situation? What is your the current value prop your firm, uh, you're, you're receiving from your firm? What are your current economics? What does this RIA model look like? Uh, does Is this even a fit? Is this even something you should be exploring? By the way, if it is, what are the different pathways into the model you might want to be considering? Perhaps perhaps we conclude you, you the best path for you is to join an RIA. Okay, then who are the who are the providers out there? Who does have good value props? How do they compare? Helping you understand all of that, helping you understand who the players are, finding a good resource. That's what I help advisors with. Happy to have that conversation with you as well. Um, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, uh, as I said prior, you can find all of the resources I make available. This entire series in video format, podcast format, I have articles, I have white papers. And at the top of every page is a contact link. Just click on that and you can instantly and easily schedule time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me. Uh, whether you want to talk about today's topic or anything else RIA related, I'm happy to have that conversation with you. Again, transitiontoria.com. And with that, I hope you found value in today's episode and I'll see you on the next one.